the world in general and we Christians in particular owe the height of our loyalty and the depth of our gratitude to Him alone. Uh, and the Ascension also has, a, and kind of Dawn alluded to this, an even closer connection to us here today because the ideals that this day embodies has a direct link with our congregational ancestors. Because it was 400 years ago this month uh, that the pilgrims, the, the founders of our denomination, under the spiritual leadership of Elder William Brewster, uh, began the process to hire two ships, the, the Mayflower and the Speedwell, uh, with the intention of separating themselves from the cruel tyrants, and corrupting influences, crony politics uh, of England to create a fellowship whose guiding principle and political motto was no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. No sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. Could you flip on my lights back there? I wonder why I can't see. Thanks, buddy. Uh, and what they would do is uh, acknowledge the historical fact of Jesus' life and, and death, along with the, the continuing ministry that he has for us now in heaven. And so really then the Ascension Day is an experience for us to celebrate every day uh, and in every generation. And I want to share it with you today, uh, some of you for the second time, <laughs> the Ascension story uh, and I want to do it in, in context of the day, but also through the lens of our psalm, Psalm 94. So we're going to look at it, uh, the ascension story, that is, where it starts out in the Gospel of Luke and then picks up for us in the beginning of the book of Acts. And so Luke uh, writes for us, During the 40 days after he had suffered and died, Jesus appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them that in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, uh, has the time come for you to free Israel and Restore our kingdom. He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him, but as they strained to see him, rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. The men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for the opportunity to come to your message today. We thank you. Uh, for the gift of Luke's gospel, for the gift of his writing the book of Acts. We thank you uh, for the psalmist today. And so, Lord, we ask you to take all these scriptures and apply them to our hearts. We ask you, Father, help us so to hear the word that we may understand, that understanding we might believe, and believing that we might follow Christ, our risen, conquering King, in whose name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. And so, uh, this account that Luke wrote, uh, the end of his gospel and the beginning of Acts, comes just a little over five and a half weeks after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And if you look uh, at the end of Luke's gospel, he writes about Jesus appearing again to the disciples 
while they were all together because he had a few more things that he wanted to say to them before his ascension. Uh, and as Luke continues the story in our text uh, in Acts, you can see the disciples were really confused about why Jesus had come, even though he had spoken to them about it several times. And, and they asked the risen Lord, is now the time where you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, is this the day of the Lord that we've been expecting? Is this the, the answer to the psalmist's prayer that we read this morning in Psalm 94 to, Lord, God of vengeance, shine forth, rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. Because you see, some of, some of them, some of the disciples were thinking maybe Jesus would set up his kingdom right now. And they were wondering what their positions in it might be. Some of them, like Peter, were wondering about what their future would hold and, and would their enemies get what they had coming to them. And, and some of them, quite honestly, were still too stunned to believe what they saw right in front of them. But Jesus wanted them to realize that they were really all missing the most important thing, and that is reaching the world with the good news of the gospel. And reminding them and us that our only real business should be to be about the business of the king. And that business, brothers and sisters, is the great commission and the work of evangelism. Which, which sadly and, and truly can be really easily overlooked in our preoccupation with the things of this world. But Jesus was cautioning his followers not to get caught up in the temporary. But he wanted them to focus on what their new purpose in life was going to be now that he was about to leave them. Because you see, if you, if you look back over the Gospels, over the last three years, remember their purpose had been to follow Jesus. Their purpose had been to watch him fulfill every single messianic prophecy that was ever recorded about him in the Old Testament. Their purpose was to watch him suffer and die on the cross and raise from the dead. But now they were done with the learning phase of their ministry. They were through their seminary period, right? And Jesus was going to give them a brand new job. He was going to give a new purpose for their lives. And Jesus told them that very soon, with the Holy Spirit's help, they would come to understand exactly what that purpose was and how they were going to fulfill it. And the words that, that Jesus shared in explaining all this to his men are really the most important words that the disciples could hear at that moment because Jesus told them what they were supposed to do with the rest of their lives. Uh, and, and what we are to be doing until Christ returns. And that's making sure that repentance for the forgiveness of sins uh, is preached in Jesus' name to all nations. And for us to be his witnesses every, everywhere we go. And Jesus didn't just leave them and us with a job to do, but he also left us with access to the power to accomplish it. Jesus said to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And notice, as I, as I told the first church, uh, the first church service, he said he didn't say you might. He he didn't say you could. He said you will. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Uh, and brothers and sisters, they were going to need it, because Jesus had already warned them back in Matthew chapter ten. He said, "For beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts, and they'll flog you in the synagogues, and they'll drag you before governors." and before kings for my sake, to bear witness to them and to the Gentile nations. See, he was warning them they're going to be uh, dragged in, in front of puny despots and, and pagan people uh, who, as Psalm 94 this morning warned us, 
those folks who frame injustice by statute, those folks that band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. Um, and, and if that sounds familiar, it really should, because brothers and sisters, just a quick look at the TV news or a perusal of today's paper will tell you that you and I are in exactly that same position today. Right? And, and as Christians, we need to be prepared not just to commend our faith, but to actually defend the king that we follow in his divine statutes. Uh, especially today when, uh, when elected leaders uh, and worship unelected bureaucrats band together to bend traditional morality, to break the law of God, and to belittle the name of Jesus Christ. And, and as I told the first service too, this is not a political statement. I don't care what uh, party someone is from. Uh, I don't care what political background they have. If a, a, a party or a candidate or a person, if they support homosexuality over holy matrimony, if they support abortion over adoption, if they support Israel, I'm sorry, Islam over Israel, if they support criminals over cops, if they support socialism over biblical capitalism, if they support atheism over Almighty God, then we need to be prepared to stand against them with our voice and with our vote and most importantly with a vibrant and well-informed commitment to the Christian faith that we profess. Resting in the promise that, uh, as Jesus said too in Matthew, that when they deliver you over, don't be anxious about what you're going to speak or what you're going to say for what you are to say will be given you in that hour for it won't be you that speak but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. The Spirit speaking through us, uh, pointing uh, us to help others see the majesty and the sufficiency of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that means that the Holy Spirit brings through believers the power and the confidence and the coherence to reach the lost for Christ. Uh, and, and to continually call His church to repentance and us individually to accountability. That's why, uh, brothers and sisters, that's why it's so important that at least occasionally we have public confession. It's so important to include that from time to time in our corporate worship. Uh, and, and no, I, I don't mean the, the Roman Catholic model of, of confessing uh, in private to a, a priest who's just a human being who has absolutely no power to forgive you. I'm talking about the heritage that we have uh, of our Protestant public communal confession that's commended all through the scriptures, whether it's from the, the prophet Daniel, the prophet Ezekiel in the Psalms, uh, but most explicitly through the book of James that tells us, uh, brothers and sisters, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. Right? So we're supposed to be praying with and for each other and confessing our sins. One theologian said it like this. He said, it's puzzling to me to see one of the defining marks of a Christian's identity quietly disappear from a church's worship he says, I'm speaking, of course, about confession. The time when the church comes together as a repentant people and asks God to forgive and to cleanse and to renew and to restore and to inflame our cold hearts and fill us overflowing with Christ's love. He continues, confessing is one of the defining marks of a Christian. And when we do it together, he says, in recognition of God's sovereignty, we are agreeing with him and recognizing that our sin hurts us. And it hurts others. And most importantly, it hurts the reputation of his church 
and of his kingdom on earth. And, and he closes out this quote by saying, so for those churches who desire to make an impact for the king, public confession is a no-brainer because it puts us in a position where we can do our job. Where we can do that job uh, and present that message that our ascended Christ has given us and then be able to trust the Holy Spirit to bring the results. And I read a, a sermon illustration kind of on topic with this. The pastor said this kind of reminded him of a young man who uh, was disappointed about losing a big sale, one of his first commissions. And so he talked to his sales manager about it and, and he said to his boss, uh, you know, I, I guess that just goes to prove that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And his sales manager said to him, son, if you take my advice, you'll realize your job is not to make people drink. Your job is to make them realize that they're thirsty. Your job is to make them realize that they're thirsty. You know, that's the same with our witness and our evangelism, whether we're witnessing to friend or foe, uh, whether it's in a large crowd or, or in a small group like this, whether it's from the pulpit, or, or whether we find ourselves in prison for our faith someday, our lives and our language and our list of priorities should be so centered on, so focused and so filled with Christ that they create a thirst for the gospel in the people around us. As you know, people should be able to look at our lives and see there's something different about us. Not because we think we're better than they are, but precisely because we know that we aren't. We recognize that we aren't. We just have the blessing of knowing what to do about it. And then we'll be able to tell everyone we meet about this source of our living water and to be able to share how thirsty we used to be before we found him. And so I, I invite all of us today to be open to the Spirit and to, to do our part to help people realize just how parched they are trying to live their lives outside the kingdom. And you know, you really don't have to go far to find folks like that, do you? You know, Jesus told his disciples, you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to all the ends of the earth because Jesus' direction for evangelism was to start locally and then spread out globally. And that's the same that's true for us. So if you were to ask me today, where should we be Christ's witnesses? I would tell you it's in our parks and in our neighborhoods. It's in Zephyr Hills and in Dade City and in Lakeland. It's in Pasco County and, and Polk County and state of Florida, throughout the southeast and to the United States and then on out to the rest of the world. And I'm so very proud to be a part of a church that really believes that. And in fact, that's the very heart and essence uh, of what we do here uh, and of who we are, so much so that your church council embedded those ideas into our mission and our vision statement uh, for this organization and I asked the first service, and my wife cheated because she knows what it is. But if anybody knows what our mission statement is without looking at the bulletin, and you, those of you that have been here twice, you can't, you can't call it out either, right? See, it's in there every week. Our mission is to present Christ to everyone, everywhere, at every available opportunity. And just for, if there's any folks with us that don't know, about 11 years ago or so, uh, your church council here got together to crystallize what would, uh, they would consider the overarching purpose that our group should be. And I think they hit the nail right on the head with that, with that motto because the presentation of Christ to a needy world is the one and only reason other than worship for a church to exist. That's it. Uh, and precisely because the leadership here recognized 
what we've been talking about this morning, they recognized that we couldn't do that in our own strength. We couldn't do that in our own power. And so they looked to the Scriptures for the means to accomplish that mission. And Jesus tells us exactly what it is in our text today. He tells us exactly where that power comes from. And it's from the Holy Spirit. And from the manifestation of His fruits. All those fruits of the Spirit that I talk about constantly. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And if, if you can, can see the first one on the list there, you see the first one is love. And that's, that's where our vision statement comes from. Our, our vision statement, if you, if you don't know that one, is to be a loving, caring church whose arms embrace all that come. Loving, caring church that embrace all that come. Because it's been said that love is the supreme ethic, and so if love is the supreme ethic and presenting Christ is why we exist, then loving people is the how that we do that. Loving people is how we do that. Because our evangelism can't be just a program. It, it's not the work of a, a committee. It's not just a sermon topic. You and I have to actively love people enough to lovingly share with them the offer of salvation and actually take the gospel with us everywhere we go. Right? And just everywhere we go, take Jesus. Even if that number of places that we go right now is a whole lot more limited. Because until the Lord makes his return trip back down, there's work to do. Uh, there's a mission to carry out, and we have a king to serve. And you can really see that laid out as we get to the end kind of our, our text today. Because, you know, Jesus talked to the disciples not only about their new job, and their new purpose, and, and the new power they would have to fulfill it. But Luke tells us, that while he was doing that, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. And they could no longer see him. And, and as they strained, though, to see him rising into the heavens, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why are you standing there staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. Can you just imagine what it would be like to be there in that moment? I could imagine a lot more when we were standing outside being able to look up at the sky, I'll tell you. Uh, and you're just, you know, you're looking up into the air and, and you're watching Jesus rise up into heaven and, and, and suddenly you get a tap on the shoulder from a stranger that says, hey, uh, what you looking at? What are you looking at? And that's a, a pretty simple question, but it's a big point that I don't want us to miss when we read that angel's question because asking questions can be a really vital part of evangelism. And I know, and you know too, our Lord definitely thought so because as we've said so many times, uh, time after time when Jesus was talking to someone, he usually answered their question with another question. Not because he wanted to skirt the issue, but as a, a bridge to build a deeper conversation and a deeper connection because not only do questions diffuse tense issues, they also penetrate the heart of a matter and they really help a person open up inside their own thinking. And the good news is you and I can do that too. You and I can move friendly everyday conversations from news and, and sports and weather to talking about spiritual things. You can do it just by asking questions. Uh, like I was saying, for instance, you could ask someone, uh, what's your source of strength to get you through day to day in this lockdown? It's a pretty innocuous question, right? You could ask somebody when you have a problem or when a crisis comes up, who, who do you turn to first? You could ask someone, do you, do you have faith in anything? And you'd be really surprised how open and how eager people are to talk about things like this. 
And uh, there was a, a poll, a research poll done by Gallup pollsters uh, that said of half of all the unchurched Americans, uh, half of them said they would return to active church participation someday. And of that group, one in five said they would start back faster if someone would just talk to them about spiritual things and invite them to church. That, that's a pretty interesting statistic, right? One in five would come back if they received an offer and someone talked to them about spiritual things. Because you see, you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to have a master's degree in philosophy to share the gospel. You just have to be willing to have conversations with your, your neighbors and, and your family and your friends. It's something every single member of the body of Christ can do. And the, the Apostle Peter really confirmed that, that uh, as he was witnessing the ascension that day, he would later go on to write, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And to do it with gentleness and respect. But see, the part that you can't miss from that verse is first you have to revere Christ in your heart. Right? That's the vital part of that verse. You have to revere Christ in your heart first because that's the source of the answers that we have to be prepared to give. And honestly, it's our only legitimate authority to give them. And really, brothers and sisters, that's the dual message of Ascension Day that we celebrate. It's to exalt Jesus and to evangelize people. That's the dual message, to exalt Jesus and to evangelize people. They, they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. They're like cause and effect. And so it, it's telling people Christ is ascended, now go tell the world. Don't just look up, speak up. Just like those angels uh, asking the disciples why they were standing there looking up into heaven. Uh, and it's as if they were kind of saying to them, hey, uh, fellas, don't just stand there staring at the clouds all day. You've got work to do. Uh, you've been given a commission by the king, and now at his ascension, his men are reminded of that promise by the angels as they see him being taken up into heaven. Uh, and if you, you didn't catch or listen to anything else that I, that I said today, don't miss this. They said to them, this same Jesus is coming back again. Not another one. The same one. The same Jesus is coming back. The same Jesus that was born in Bethlehem. The same Jesus that turned water into wine. The same Jesus that walked on water. The same Jesus that made the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the lame to walk. The same Jesus that raised Lazarus from the dead. The same Jesus that died on Calvary's cross for our sins. The same Jesus, brothers and sisters, that rose from the dead and is now ascended will return in a visible, recognizable, resurrected body. And even though he, he told us we don't know the exact day or time or hour, we know enough of Jesus and his love that that promise is true. It was enough of a promise for his disciples in the first century, and surely it's more than enough for us today. But even as beautiful as that is, we can't stop there because we still have to be about the Father's business. We still have to be witnesses for Christ until he comes back. And I know it's super easy to look at the condition of the world today and say, you know what, it can't be too long before he returns. But we can never let that be an excuse for idleness. It's got to be a prompt to greater urgency because you know, he could come today, he could come in a month, it may be a hundred years before he comes back, but each day that he tarries, we have the opportunity to do the work that he calls us to do. Each day is one more chance to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. With his saving grace, the saving grace of our risen Savior who's 
ascended now in heaven, who's sitting at the right hand of the Father in glory, calling us to revere and to reveal His Son to the watching world and to do it with complete confidence. Because as our psalm told us this morning, the Lord will not forsake His people. He will not abandon His heritage. Justice will return to the righteous and all the upright in heart will follow it. Amen? Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank You that we know that you are sending your son again, Lord. We don't know when, uh, but Lord, keep our hearts and our eyes and our minds uh, not only fixed on heaven, but fixed on the world around us. Don't let us ever be, uh, as the old saying goes, so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Uh, Father, inspire us this week. Send us out to share your message, uh, not in some grand theological way, but just help us, Lord, to uh, come alongside those whom we love, those whom we live near, uh, and share the truth and the beauty and the hope of the gospel. Uh, and empower us, Lord, to do that by your Holy Spirit. Through Christ's name and for his sake that we pray. Amen.